This is an ABC podcast. It was 12 minutes after sunset on the 17th of July, 1998, when the lives of the people of Papua New Guinea's sundown region were forever changed. That moment, we virtually had finished work. I was home with my family. We lived in the hospital. And uh, I had my little daughter. We were walking out of the hospital gate and the uh, earthquake hit. Hit so hard that it swung the ga- hospital gate, yeah. One of the iron gates and it swung towards us and I held my daughter and just we both moved away from the gate. And instantly we realized that there was an earthquake and there was a big noise that was roaring from the direction of the beach, like a big plane. Many ran to the shore to inspect. That noise was a tsunami wave tearing towards Atape. Lena Maroy Napmuku was the matron at the nearby Reyu Hospital on that day, 25 years ago. I'm Rutha Alec, filling in for Hilda Wayne, and to mark this anniversary, Sisters Let's Talk is honouring the Aitape tsunami victims and the memories of those who survived. We pay tribute to the communities that showed such resilience in the face of the unthinkable. The stories you will hear in this episode are harrowing, and you may find the recollections distressing. Please take care in listening to this episode, and if you feel you need to talk to someone about how the tsunami affected you, or any concerns that this episode raises, you can contact your local health authority for support. We've included some phone numbers for Papua New Guinea on our website. This is ABC News. Nearly 600 people are confirmed dead and hundreds more are believed to have perished in Papua New Guinea's tidal wave disaster. Waves of up to 10 metres triggered by two earthquakes crashed into a 30-kilometre stretch of the coast, washing away villages. Ursula Tawiri was living in one of those small villages when the wave tore through. She was nine months pregnant with nowhere to run. I didn't know this disaster would happen. I was shocked when the tsunami hit us. We have never seen a tsunami before and everyone was shocked too. I had to run. I thought if I followed the highway, the waves would kill me and my baby. So I ran near the lagoon. We lived in an area between the sea and a big lagoon. When I was running, I saw the waves come up and carry me away towards the lagoon. So I swam. When I went underwater, I thought of my unborn baby. When she resurfaced, the world had turned to black. I held on to a floating log which saved me. Lots of people died. I didn't have any serious injuries or anything like that because I was thinking of my baby. Ursula and hundreds of other victims were to spend the night alone, with no outside assistance. Among the first responders was Lena Maroy Napmuku, the matron at Reyu District Hospital, about half a kilometre away. 
She says the plea for help came the next morning. And at that time, the hospital actually had closed down at 4 or 6 because uh, it's a mission hospital and, and the nurses didn't get their pay. There was no salary for the nurses and uh, the nurses couldn't manage anymore. So it's like the, this hospital, this 140-bed hospital was closed at 4 or 6 on that day. And the tsunami hit on that very day about 6 p.m. And there were no nurses and doctors on duty, officially on duty, but on call for emergencies and they were in their houses. And the message got us the next day at about uh, as early as at 6, but yeah, 6, we, we started work at 7 o'clock and yeah, on through the VHF radio, Sister Margaret Omani from from my village, uh, Paris had was on the radio calling for help if anyone could hear her, and uh, someone from from Frida Frida River Project, it's a mine, received message from there and they sent a chopper from from Frida down to the Ryu District Hospital. Lena was on that helicopter, which landed in her own village, Malol. There were so many casualties actually. And people were running all over the place, confused, and some died already. Some, it was a big confusion, but yeah, people tried to move casualties together. So we tried them and tried to identify those who were seriously, got them on the chopper and moved them back. The, the, the bridge was already washed out, the bridge at Malon, my place there, leading back to Aitabe. That bridge was thrown out, so. They had to build another wet crossing. It was quite tough. Our plenty, but we just tried our best to move patients in, and all business houses and all other vehicles tried to move, but the place had really washed the road off. The the wave went straight and washed out the road, too, the road leading to my village. And that's my village, but on the other side, we're Arok next to my village, and then Waraku and Sisano. Those those villages were like 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 an island between the ocean and the lagoon, the Sisanan Lagoon. Those villages, uh, the wave had washed out the houses and the total population into the lagoon. Lena is about to go into some graphic details about what she witnessed in the aftermath. If this is going to trigger trauma and bring up memories for you. You can tune out now and rejoin us in a couple of minutes. Yeah, there, was a, there were bodies stuck to the mangroves. Uh, bodies were penetrated into the, the sticks or the branches of the hardwood, mangrove hardwood. Bodies were found stuck to the mangroves. Uh, ladies and their babies were up. When the, the water came down, they were still up there on the 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 coconut tree, the head of the coconut tree. People were still up there because the wave was so big. So people were still hang on, uh, hang, uh, hanging on the trees when the, the wave came down. They had to climb down from trees because the water swelled and these people swam and uh, hung on the branches of the trees. So when they were, the sea came down, they had the level of the sea came down, they had to climb down from trees. Dogs and animals and things like that were floating everywhere. You know, it was it was a mess, and there was massive burials. Those were fighting and pulling bodies. You know, all kinds of terrible things happened, and 
uh, a team was set up to bury the dead along the coast and they had to pull bodies from the pigs and the dogs, you know, do mass graves along the coast. Oh, it was terrible anyway. Survivors were helping survivors, and the makeshift rescue teams were doing everything they could. Lena was faced with the impossible. My family, my immediate family, they were, they were affected, you know. So I could, I, I, my focus was not on my family because uh, everyone had the same, same injuries, and I couldn't focus on my family. I just went for treating everyone at the same time. And I, I bypassed one of my aunties, and she was calling for help. And uh, I said, aunt, aunt, I just see this one, and I'll come back to you. And he said, and I got confused in the middle. Of my, I, I lost my auntie, you know. I lost my auntie immediately. She was calling me for, to help, and I went for the other one, and I could attend to her, and so she died in front of me, too. More than 2,000 people lost their lives. Those that survived lost their livelihoods and would be forced to resettle inland. That way of life, it was, you know, these were coastal people, naturally attached to the sea, so the, the ocean, the sea for their livelihood, attached to the sea and attached to the lagoon. You know, the lagoon is... Uh, is where all the fish and everything is there, the shells and the prawns and and everything. The lagoon, the Sisano Lagoon, is a very big lagoon, and it it starts at Sisano and finishes at Malol, my village. The houses and the people, the services, the health facilities, the schools, the aid posts, the businesses, whatever little businesses, the SME activities they did, everything went into lagoon at one go. Those on the ground bravely continued their rescue efforts. Oh my God, yeah. There was no rest there. I, I had to just call upon the uh, the Itape West Coast officers, officers from villages affected by the tsunami. I called on these officers and I told them, we have no choice but to, to serve our people. So we just have to get to work and we'll get our own people to see if they can find some food elsewhere to come and feed us and while we look after our people. And so the officers turned up straight away. They turned up. We, we had only like 31 nurses in the hospital. This big hospital, we had 31 nurses. And so the nurses responded positively and we started. And when we started attending to casualties, triaging and managing them, the other officers saw that they they just needed to work and everybody came in and started work and then we had our our businessman there Rob Perra and uh, Robert Perra he saw that we were on so he 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 ordered food from his hardware and ordered food up to the hospital and he said okay all the the families of the nurses come line up and get your food and take your food to the house cook and feed your, your plants while they attend to the casualties. And it happened like that. And uh, operations continued 24 hours. There was no rest. Operations would just continue until we had relieved doctors and nurses who came in and took over. The operation just continued. People, victims were referred for amputations and 
further care will refer to Wewek to Borong Hospital. Finally, international aid arrived. Well, in the, on the second day after we did our first evacuations and uh, yeah, charging and evacuations, massive, uh, massive assistance came in from the world. I would say, NGOs and government officers flew in to Aitape from all over Papua New Guinea, and uh, colleagues and everybody else flew in from Australia, from from US, from Japan. From all other nations around who could come, they came in massive, massive attendance to assist us. Yeah, they came in big numbers. Uh, Faith-based organizations like Salvation Army and Adra and everyone who specialized in their own different fields came in with what they had to bring, like water, uh, relief, supporting our officers with food and things like that, like Salvation Army. Everyone came in and did what they must do out of their heart and from their hearts to help. You know, the response from the international community was 100%, 110%. They continued to help until the place was in order. The whole population was in order, set up the camps, moved to the new location, helped us to set up the new services, the new uh, resettlement areas away from the coast to the bush. It was excellent and I could see the, the hand of God, the heart of God. God in all all the international communities came in to help, yeah, and we appreciate that very much. Ursula Tawiri, who you heard at the start, ended up at one of the six care centers set up to provide shelter and essential services. I was nine months pregnant. The next day, I gave birth to my daughter at the care center. I gave birth using traditional methods. My mother and sister were there, so they helped me to give birth to my firstborn daughter. We were at the care center whole of 1998 and moved on to a new place in 1999. My baby was a normal baby. My baby is now 24 years old and she's got her own family now. I also have another daughter. For Ursula Tawiri, it took a long time to resettle after the disaster, but her family and her faith were key to her survival. During these hard times, I had support from my father. My father is a man of faith and he would tell us to trust God with everything. I did that and I was saved that time. My faith is what got me through. Today, Lena Maroy Napmuku still lives in the region, running the delivery room at the West Sepik Provincial Hospital on the coast. And there's still a very real fear of history repeating itself. Uh, and the, 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 the hospital I worked in is, uh, is just at the seashore. <laughs> and it's at the bay. And you know, if there's an earthquake, and there's some, sometimes I go with several false alarms, there's a tsunami setting, I tell you, it's, it's like a real emergency. But Lena says there are better warning systems in place now. People keep running when there's an alarm. Keep running, meaning the vehicles are there, and everyone is moved to higher ground immediately. Yes. 
we have our internal emergency response team and external emergency response team and disaster management is one of the things that we are alerted about. And if there's some alarms on uh, the tsunami coming, yes, we are better prepared, yes. Maybe if our timing is good and if our timing is not very good, maybe we'll be hit again. But uh, yes, people are prepared and made aware of. She says people have learned from the Aitape tsunami and should keep learning. And I think history is very important. You should remind people, you know, Papua New Guinea, young country, and not so many educated people at that time. Uh, this kind of information must be shared with many other people. This was like a, a disaster, a disaster, unexpected disaster, unknown disaster, unexpected, unknown, and it came as it came. And uh, from now, when there's a big sound coming from the ocean, you don't run to the ocean to see what's coming. You pack your bag, give your bag to the ocean, and run into the bush. That's one lesson. And when the head is trembling, you just run. You never know what's going to happen. Run away from the ocean. Yeah. But people have moved away from the ocean now. They are now, like, resettling it. They have resettled, not resettling. They have resettled in the higher grounds and away from the ocean, from the seashore. And they just go there for the fishing, and then they come back, and if they hear the air trembling or a little bit of earthquake, they run for their lives. But these are not the only lessons. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Lavinia Magia is Gender Advisor for Care International in PNG. It's an aid organisation that places women at the heart of its work. I believe the Aitape tsunami has taught us some great lessons for us as individuals, as a community, and as the government of the country. At the time of the tsunami, CARE didn't have an office in PNG, but it was providing technical support to the government. Lavinia was in grade 6 during the Atape disaster, and while she wasn't in the area, the images coming in on the news are seared into her memories. She says the tsunami was a turning point for disaster preparedness in Papua New Guinea and shed light on the role communities play. One of the great lessons for us is around um, ensuring that people have sufficient knowledge around any disaster for that matter and uh, that they are better able to take appropriate um, reduction actions. So around community preparedness. She says that includes food and supplies that are easy to access. A disaster may happen at a time when least is expected. And as a community, um, we will be very much dependent on each other before any help comes from outside. Disasters like Aitape have also helped inform their work when it comes to addressing the victims' immediate needs. We have also been able to do more um, proper assessment in partnership with the local and provincial government to better inform our response work, in particular ensuring that women, the needs of women and girls are prioritised in any um, response. The safety and security and dignity of women and girls are uh, protected, valued at all times. We know that 
at these times, communities are more vulnerable, especially women and girls. People also take advantage of women and girls during that time. And she says it's so important to recognize their contributions as well. From my experience in disaster response with my time in with care, I have seen that many a times when we go to the communities, it is often the men that take the front in speaking and representing the community to talk about the needs of the community. But when you actually live with the community and do response work, you see that women are the ones that actually do the work in terms of trying to get the community to survive on whatever uh, means and ways that they can. So the actual work of um, preparedness uh, in a disaster or response in a disaster, women bear the brunt of the work um, and they get to do most of the, of the work um, to ensure that the family survives during times like this. Therefore, um, I think that women, it is important that we consider women in all our response our planning and preparedness work when it comes to um, disaster. Lavinia Magiar believes disaster management in Papua New Guinea has improved since Atape. I think it was a big wake-up call for the country um, when we talk about having a more coordinated um, approach to disaster management, whether it be... Um, preparedness, response, mitigation, all um, the different phases of disaster management. In terms of um, a coordinated approach where the government can better coordinate with um, not just the government bodies responsible for disaster management, but with the local um, churches on the ground, with the international organizations. At that time, I believe Red Cross and Salvation Army had a very strong presence on the ground. We have seen many international NGOs come into support with disaster preparedness and response work in PNG um, and has taken steps to support communities um, and the government to better prepare and respond. It's been 25 years since the Atape tsunami and people like Lena Maroy Napmuku still carry the trauma. It's emotional. Uh, yeah. I really, I really sorry about this, but I really can't stand uh, watching the, you know, the documentary. I can't watch it the way. Uh, I'm like, like this permanent trauma is with me. Mm, yes, yeah, sorry. It's just like I, I, it, uh, it triggers me off. Emotionally, and but I like to talk about it, but I'm not very strong on this one. I'm not strong, so that's why, yeah. Yeah, these memories are fresh, and uh, uh, it's, it's always challenging on me. And uh, I, I appreciate talking about this because it's a good lesson for, for our artists to learn. I'm so grateful that we can talk about this again. It's good for it's it's I'm really thankful that you know, I was really surprised that someone some of our nice people are still thinking about us for the tsunami in the twenty five years. Thank you so much. To the people of Aitape, you have not been forgotten.
and to all those involved in the rescue and recovery efforts, we thank you. We recognize the scars that you will always live with. Thank you very much to Ursula Tawiri and Lena Maroy Nabmuku for sharing your story and to Lavinia Magia for your insights. Thank you also to Hilda Wayne for your interview and Belinda Cora for translating. A special thank you to Hugh Davies and Taz Makatu. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production presented by me, Rutha Alec, filling in for Hilda Wayne. Our producer is Alice Matthews. Supervising producer is Kim Lester. And Falianga Fulu, Inga Stansner, is our executive producer. Sisters Let's Talk is created on Wiradjuri, Nanawal, Nambri, Yagara, Torabal, and Dharambal country. And we pay our respects to the elders past and present. Thank you, Tomas, for joining me. Pamilukimu back again next time.